Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We will continue discussing Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We're in the second part. We are on the 27th Anucheta. 27th Anucheta dealing with two aspects of the intrinsic characteristics of the Jiva. This whole center section, I guess you could say, of the Paramatma Sandarbha deals with the intrinsic characteristics of the Jiva, which Jiva, Jiva Goswami has uh, drawn from beginning in the 19th Anucheda, a listing of characteristics by Jamatri Muni. We're going to reread the 27th Anucheda, and then we will go into the commentary. As I explained when we got here last time, um, there's a lot in this particular commentary. I'm only going to deal with certain aspects of it as it applies to the core idea that Jiva Goswami is trying to convey to us in this 27th Anucheta in the first part. In the second part, we'll go a little bit more deeply. So the first part is dealing with the fact that we are conscious of ourselves. This is a characteristic. We, we have some self-awareness and we're luminous. And that aspect of our existence bears some understanding when we say that we're luminous. Well, we all have an inner light, I guess you could say, but what we're getting at here is the fact that the jiva illuminates its material situation. Our consciousness pervades. If, if the true, if we take from the Vedic definition the fact that the, the soul is basically the smallest of the small. It doesn't get any smaller than, according to Vedic knowledge, the quantity that is the jiva. One ten thousandth the tip of a hair. And it's it can't be cut up any more than that. So if we take to that and we we listen attentively to these next couple anachetas and we really get a sense here of the fact that all that all that infinitesimal energy which is contained within our conscious self it's truly extraordinary we illuminate the body and as we touched upon in the last discussion, we, be, we can illuminate much more than just the body uh, in, a, in, in some way or another. Haranyakasi Pu illuminated through heat. Again, when we use this um, analogy of illuminating, we're talking about the pervasiveness the pervasiveness of the energy. So this 
analogies there of illumination to give us, you know, something to relate to because we're very we're very conscious in our, in our environment of the fact that we have a, a source of illumination during daytime, which is quite extraordinary. So many billions and whatever light years away, there's a sun, and here we are basking in its in its heat and in its light. So the point is that's just to give us some idea how much power is in one individual jiva. As we said, we saw we saw in the case of Aranyakasi Poo, his austerities were so immense that he put off energy to the extent that the demigods are calling calling out to Brahma, help. Is he going to make the whole universe boil over? Or Dhruva Maharaj, a young boy of only five years, performing such austerity that the whole universe is gasping for air. We need to please, uh, stop this boy, young boy. I can't catch my breath here. So how much power the jiva has? So the simple powers that we have to illumine and animate a material body from a very infinitesimal material body to the body of a, well, I guess in scripture, when we look at scripture, the body of a, some particular aquatic comes to mind as being immense. Uh, what is the name? Tim and Tim and Gila fish. fish. Yeah, so pretty big bodies. What to speak? I mean, we have a hard time handling cows. Some of us <laughs> rush through the cow pen. <laughs> Just a two thousand pound animal. One thousand. All right. Not quite a ton yet. That would be a big cow, I guess. All right, so let's read Jiva uh, Goswami's commentary again. We didn't quite finish it, but uh, we'll go through it quickly and then touch upon the points. Um, as I mentioned, this particular 27th Anno Cheta uh, has been divided into two sections subsections because Anucheta itself means section. So it's been divided into two sections, uh, one dealing with the, uh, well, both both those characteristics that are in the listing of both consciousness and self-luminous. To clarify the above meaning, the meaning given in the prior Anuchetas, that the Atma is not mere consciousness but also intrinsically endowed with cognitive awareness, Jamatri Muni said, it is conscious of itself and self-luminous. Again, we'll go back to the, the significance of understanding these qualities that the jiva has. Because there are some philosophers of theology, or, the, or both, both um, 
the atheistic and the theistic, that they have a conception that the characteristic of the jivatma is only that of consciousness. Consciousness alone. The fact that these other characteristics are there in the jiva is very significant to a comprehensive understanding of the nature of the self, of the being, of ourselves. It's not that we're just conscious. We have some more stuff going for us. It is conscious of itself and is self-luminous. Swasmai, Swayam Prakasa Shyat, qualities number six and seven. The self's characteristic of self-luminosity was expressed also in Anucheda 19 by the word Swadrik. Self-aware. In Bhagavatam 10.11.8, the principal verse of that section, that section being the 19th Anucheda where the listing of all those qualities were there. Jiva Goswami goes on, Luminosity, Prakash, is of two kinds, based on the distinction between made between luminosity as a quality, guna, and a luminous substance, dravya. The first kind of luminosity is that which makes visible the source of its own luminosity. The second kind is the specific luminous entity, vastu, itself, that is instrumental in making itself and other objects visible. Then he quotes the verse from the Bhagavatam, uh, which is in the 19th Anucheda. He quotes it again here in this 27th Anucheda. The Atma, which is the witness and self-aware, is distinct from the subtle and gross bodies. In the same way that fire, which burns and illumines, is different from the wood that is burnt. This is going to be explained even more deeply as we go forward here in this particular section or Anucheda. So let's go forward. <laughs> in this particular instant, Jiva Goswami continues, since the Atma is accepted as a substance, dravya, only the latter type of luminosity is acceptable, only the latter definition. For example, a lamp is illuminating the eye. In illuminating the eye, makes both itself and other objects visible of its own accord without dependence on another light to reveal it, as would be the case for a clay pot. In other words, a clay pot, you couldn't see it without some light. Therefore, the lamp is called self-luminous, Swayam Prakash. It is not, however, self-revealing in regards to itself, and thus it is said to be inert or unconscious. The Atma, on the other hand, illuminates both itself and others, but since it is also self-revealing in regard to its own self, because it is self-aware, it was said that it is self-illuminating of its own self, swasmai swayam prakash. Or in other words, self-aware and self-luminous. For this reason, it is said to be inherently of the nature of consciousness, chidrupa. 
Others, Chitsukacharya in his Tattva Pradipika, have also defined self-luminosity, Swayam Prakasatva, as being that which in its own operational function of illuminating is not dependent on any external source. And two, that which, although imperceptible, is capable of being immediately or directly realized. So now we'll finish up this first part of the Anucheta. In regards to the first definition, which specifies the intrinsic characteristic of self-luminosity as being independent of any external source, the word swasmai, in regard to its own self, is needed to avoid its being identified as inert, like a lamp, which is also luminous. In regard to the second definition, it is evident that a lamp and other similar luminous objects are perceptible, which violates the definition. Hence, the word swasmai is needed to clarify the meaning of the word that succeeds it, swayam prakash. Therefore, the word swadrik, self-aware, means swasmai swayam prakash, self-revealing in regard to its own self. It's a lot there. The basic point... Go ahead. The last sentence. Therefore, the word swadrik, self-aware, the jiva being self-aware, means swasmai swayam prakash, self-revealing in regards to its own self. What jiva is trying to make clear to us here is the necessity, and again, he's, you know, we're talking about a clarified definition. And we're going to go into that a little bit. I'm going to share with you a little bit of the commentary where definition is dealt with. How definition? I mean, it's it's truly... It, it, it's very revealing. It's very illuminating. The how, how precise Sanskrit is and how precise the logicians like Srila Jiva Goswami are in in dealing with every particular aspect of what they're talking about. This section here, what Jiva is trying to make clear is you have to, in order to have a proper understanding and distinguish between something that's able to something that's luminous self-luminous and something that's consciously self-luminous in order to make and fully understand and comprehend that distinction and not be confused about it understand that the terminology used has to be precise and from Jiva's viewpoint, he's saying that if we're talking about something being self-luminous, to separate the conscious 
self-luminous and the inert self-luminous or the material self-luminous like a lamp, um, you have to ha have this word swasmai before swayam prakash or self-luminous. So a little of the commentary. In this section, Sri Jiva Goswami elaborates on the meaning of the words swasmai, swayam, and prakash, which appear in the second half of the second verse of Jamatri Muni's quoted in the 19th Anucheta. That's where the listing of the qualities are given. Swasmai means to oneself, and swayam prakash means self-luminous. Together these words signify that which is self-luminous and self-aware. So again, we're talking about much more than just light here. We're talking about the jiva's capacity to animate, not just illuminate, but to bring, well, look at the body. If we're one ten thousandth the tip of a hair and we're sitting, you know, in a particular what is considered the heart, uh, how much, how much the energy of the jiva is going out through this perfect vehicle and and animating it, giving it power, giving it, bringing all the senses. Just to think of the fact of the mind and the senses working together, and you know, the this is the point being made. So swashmai, this terminology is there to distinguish conscious, a consciousness awareness of the fact that we have consciousness, and that consciousness animates the body or illumines the body, brings it into brings it into play within the material manifestation. So as I said, I wanted to share just a little bit of the commentary here dealing with the way Sachin Ryan Das Babaji brings out. Here's a little information you might find interesting. And it dealings with, deals with how precise a definition needs to be. And other kind of definitions which are not as precise and why they why they fall short. So it gives some very nice illustrations here. According to Tarka Sangraha or definition I'm sorry, a definition is susceptible to three types of defects. Underextension, overextension, or impossibility. If a definition applies only to some members of a class to be defined while excluding others, it is underextended. Of, like the different definitions of guru that are out there. For example, if one defines man as being with two legs and black hair, this would, ex would, ex would exclude men with blonde hair. So it's not, it's an underextended definition. If a definition applies not only to all members of a class to be defined, but to non-members also, 
then it is overextended. Ativ, ativ yapti. For example, if one defines man as being with two hands, this would include monkeys also. If a definition is not applicable to any member of a class, then it entails impossibility, a sambhava. For example, if one defines man as being with three legs, this is the defect called a sambhava. A flawless definition must be free from these three defects. Sri Jiva argues above that if the word swashmai is not used along with swayam prakash, then the term self-luminous could apply to a light bulb, which is the defect of ativ yapti. If the first definition, not dependent on any other source of illumination, is adopted, this could also apply to a lamp because we do not see, we do not need another light source to see a lamp. Therefore, the word swashmai needs to be added to swayam prakash. He also gets into some detail in Jiva Goswami's selection of a particular definition from uh, Chetsuka's definitions of Swayam Prakash, uh, but I'm not going to go into those. So I'm going to go forward to the second part of this 27th Anucheta. Jiva Goswami continues, Just because the self is illuminated by Paramatma, it should not be considered as para-prakasha, or in other words, as something requiring illumination from an external source. In the matter of an inert object like a clay pot, this is because paramatma is the supreme intrinsic essence, paramaswarup, of the individual self. And so, in the case of the self-illumination by Paramatma, there is a complete absence of dependence on any external source for its illumination. This indeed is expressed by Bhagavan in two verses. What Jiva is bringing out here is, is true, a deep understanding of a chinta beta beta tattva simultaneous one and difference. So the fact that, of course, we would consider that Paramatma is, a, is providing the energy to a, the jiva to illuminate itself, Jiva Goswami is saying, well, actually, they're, they're so close. The, the fact that the Paramatma and the Atma are, in essence... We are expansions of Paramatma. So the definition is, 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 needs to be even further refined in our minds to understand that when we talk about the Atman, it's, it's self-luminosity. It, it does have power intrinsic to itself because of the fact that it is 
basically part of Paramatma. So the verses from the uh, Bhagavatam read as follows that Jiva Goswami uh, quotes in this Anucheda. My dear Uddhava, by Maya, my Maya, consisting of the three gunas, creates by these gunas varieties of difference, vikalpa, and varieties of intellection related to different. So, although the psychosomatic organism, he doesn't say that, that's in brackets, but, uh, so although is subject to many kinds of modifications, they are broadly speaking of three categories. One is Ajatma, modification related to the psychological instruments of perception. Then Adibhuta, those related to the physical objects perceived. And the other is Adidaiva, those related to the deistic or environmental encoding that correlates the instrument to the object. The faculty of sight, the visible forms, and the individuated portion of the sun that enters here in the aperture of the eye actualizes their respective potency, potentials through mutual dependence and interrelation. On the other hand, that which exists in the sky, the sun, realizes its potential of its own accord, meaning that it is self, that it self reveals itself without dependence on any luminous source. Similarly, the Atma, because it is distinct from and prior to these, prior to these three, um, the instrument, the object, and the deistic encoding enables the actualization of the potentials of all interdependent categories through its own immediate experience or conscious capacity. So remember, this is a verse spoken by Krishna himself. Of course, it's translated to English in a certain style so that the, the wording brings out the specific meanings that that the commentator wants to provide us with. Vikalpa, manifoldness, means difference, and the intelligence or discriminatory capacity spoken of is that which is related to difference. The great variety of these differences is elaborated in the second half of the first of these verses where it is said the psychosomatic organism is subject to many kinds of modifications. So really what we're talking about here is the animation of matter. How's it working? What are the components? What, what brings about our experiences in the world around us? 
So these are components that enable those experiences. They're coming from our self, Atmic, from the physical aspects of the material nature, which Krishna explained in the in the verse, these these modes of material nature create this environment. So we have the senses, and we have the sense objects, and we have the ability to perceive. And there is also some some help. We want to see. There's objects to see. We have a body with eyes. But unless there's some help of the sun, which is controlled outside of our environment, we don't make the sun rise in the morning. We don't make the sun set. We don't have any input there. Even though we're, we have a lot of things that we can do in this particular instance, that's under somebody else's direction. Adi Daivik. So we are the self. We animate the body. The body has senses. We bring the senses to life. And there are things to perceive in the world, to smell in the world, to taste in the world, to hear in the world. And those aspects, although we have so much facility and there are these outside things to look at, to see, to hear, to smell, there's also the other aspect that we, all three are necessary for the experience that is our material existence. We need ourself. We need the environment. The environment is full. And there is also the, the diva, the higher power or the energy that animates things outside of our range of action. So the sun is there; it's doing its job. And the, you know, if we look, if we look closely and, and apply the Sankhya philosophy, then the inner relationships of these three can be understood. So, although it undergoes innumerable modifications, they are broadly speaking of three categories: the threefold divisions. Division is described as adiyatmic, psychological instrument, adibhuta, physical object, and adidaiva, deistic encoding, which are further specified to be respectively the faculty of sight, the visible forms, and the embodiment of the sun. The word vapu, embodiment, means an individuated portion of the sun. Here, in the aperture means that when these three penetrate the eye socket they actualize their respective potentials either a sense faculty sense object or facilitator of the act of seeing the provider of light the provider of sense the scent the provider of the 
the sound, the provider of the, the feeling. By mutual interdependence, parasparam, and not independently. Now I'm going to read a footnote because of the utilization of this word deistic because it's been used here by in this protest, uh, presentation of the English translation of the Sandarbhas this is what Sachinarayan Das and his his assistants felt was the best word so there's a footnote here as to why they felt this word would give us a, a more con- uh, comprehensive understanding of the of the nature of the demigods part in all this the fact that there is these outside forces that are also contributing to our experience of the Lord's external material energy <clears throat> the adjective deistic used here synonymously with Adi Daiva is to be understood in the sense of in, of, or related to a deity. With this intention, it is not to be taken as identical in all respects to the theological view known as deism. In its usage here, it implies a universal, intelligent, personal order behind the operation of nature, of natural and moral codes, dharma. In this view, natural and moral laws do not operate mechanically or unintellectually, but have behind them devas or universal facilitators of the law. So, deistic encoding refers primarily to the initiative administered by a deva of, for, I'm sorry, of formatting experience in such a way that subject, object, and environment can function as a synthetic whole through mutual interdependence. As used here, Adidaiva refers specifically to the correlation of the psychic instrument of perception to their corresponding physical objects facilitated through deistic or environmental encoding. This really gets to the heart of the the whole Leela of Krishna. If you look to this fact that he was preaching this Mimamsa philosophy, that there's really no need to appease a god, an Indra. It's all automatic. But truly, it's, it's both automatic. Karma comes as a natural response, good word, reaction to what we put out, it comes back. So... If we plow the fields and if we plant the seeds, then we're going to have a good harvest. But, well, you you might want to say, well, you don't provide the rain, do you? So there are some things outside. 
but Krishna was arguing to his father. So it's always it's it's automatic. So what's the difference between us honoring somebody that we think provides the rain? The rain's going to come because we did our part automatically. So we can offer we can honor this God as you've done. As a, is it a tradition? I, I what what exactly you're doing here? He's he's questioning Nanda Maharaj. Where did this come from? Is this a scriptural regulation? Is this a sacrifice? Or did you? Is this just something you? It's been there forever, and you just do it. So if the if the cat doesn't drink milk, then the guru doesn't speak. That kind of a thing. We've heard that. So what is it? Krishna is saying, I don't know. What? Why? Let me tell you. Really, if you just do the work, you get the result. So we can worship this Indra and give him some nice offering. We could just as well offer, how about that mountain over there, the hill, Govardhan? We could worship that. That would also, because really we're going to get the result because we've put out. So what we put out, we come, comes back. Understanding that the, fa- the fact that there is also consciousness on the other side. There is somebody at the department of of uh, power and energy or the you know there is somebody sitting in the water department of the universe and that that personality plays a part they have they do do their job responsibly responsibly so in doing that they are providing and it does appear to be automatic except when we can see it obviously isn't like all of a sudden there's a tornado or a hurricane or a volcano or you know these things are happening so understanding that there is this outside influence that's not coming just automatically. Now you could say that these other natural catastrophes that are coming, well, they're coming. They're coming because of karma. We did something wrong. We're hurting our environment. The residents of Vraj were not hurting their environment, and all of a sudden, you know, they got just inundated with unimaginable rain so there is also some freedom there on the part of the uh, deistic faction of the of the equation here so now we we que- we we could question well what exactly is being meant by this discussion of the sun being self-luminous and what why is that even in here? It, it could be seen as as adding confusion to the understanding. On the other hand, that which exists in the sky, namely the sun, realizes its potentially potential independently, even though the sun is also an object of sight. It is said to be independent simply because of the absence of dependence on any counterpart in the matter dispelling its 
antithesis dark, darkness. We'll read through the end of the uh, Anuchayata itself. In the same way, and this will bring it out, in the same way, just as the self, just as the sun, the self of the solar system, is independently self-revealing, so too is the Atma. So there's where this comes in. It's an analogy to ourselves. To indicate this, Bhagavan Sri Krishna says, because by virtue of the above example, the Atma, which is different from and prior to these, being the support and foundation of the Adiatmic, Adibautic, and Adidivic correlations, is also independently self-revealing. The Atma, however, is unique because of its conscious nature as indicated by the words through its own immediate experience or conscious capacity, Swayam Anubhujya. And this is not all. Rather, the Atma is that by which the actualization of the potentials of all interdependent categories of the psychosomatic organism organism is enabled. What Jeeva is trying to say is there's a lot... The way this plays out within the material nature can be seen as our part in what's going on here is like that of the sun. The sun is truly independent. It doesn't need any outside source. Whereas the jiva, and here again, it's not to be confused, to separate what what jiva is saying as an bringing in as an analogy of the sun's independence, and then we say, well, is he what? Do, you know, when you first read it, you say, well, what, that means the sun's independent. How does that relate to the Atma? Well, the Atma's, it's an analogy. It's, it's similarly as independent as the sun. It doesn't require anything else. And then we'd say, well, it requires the Paramatma. But as is going to be played out here going forward, well, actually, it's... It is in and of itself self-luminous because it is in and of itself an extension of the Paramatma. My parts and parcels. Mamaivam so jiva loke jiva bhuta sanatana. They're actually me. So that infinitesimal part of Paramatma, which is the Tatasta Shakti, is fully, it has practically all of the characteristics of the Paramatma itself, as far as, well, up to 50 of 64, well, 50 of 60, or, you know, then again, we're talking about Paramatma manifestation of the Lord as opposed to the Narayan manifestation. Jeeva's making the point, in this discussion, when we're looking at the nature of the jiva, understand that when we say self-luminous, when we say self-conscious, when we say endowed with, it's endowed with, and of course we know the source, but we ourselves are a fragment of that source. So these kind of 
understandings and these kind of definitions should be seen in that in in light of that understanding. So this will come out a little bit more in the commentary, which we will delve into a little bit in the next discussion and unpack a little bit more these understands of adiatmic, adibaldic, and adidivic. So I'll stop there. Are there any questions, comment? How did this last point about the, the jiva being independent relate? Does it relate back to this idea where there were three modifications or three things that facilitate our, the adiatmika and adibaldic facilitate our experiences of the world? I didn't understand that, like the transition there. Basically, the I think, I mean, from my perspective of looking at this Anacheta and reading through it, and uh, again, a, a little bit more of this will come out, I believe, as we discuss the commentary, but to my understanding of what Jeeva is trying to convey here is we're completely and totally independent of the environment but we we exist in the environment and these other aspects of that experiential existence that we live are fully independent of what we are these things come into play in the environment. We're part of it, Adi Atmik, but there is the environment, Adi Baltic, and there is powers outside ourselves, Adi Divic. I think as we go through this and go into the next Anochetas and then which refer back to this Anocheta, this point will come into play. That really see what see it for what it is the environment is not you you have a great you you're the one that brings the environment about the atmas you know they pervade everywhere we are one of those the jivatma but there's so much more to us than the involvement in all that we think is independent of Krishna. So we come up with all this. This is how it works. This is how it all fits together. This is how the environment unfolds and your and your involvement in it in incorporates these other aspects. Understand that, but let's go deeper than that. You're like the sun. You're really you're unique. Draw yourself to what is truly your essence and understand these things for what they are and what they aren't. Okay. And, and they aren't you. They aren't your essence. But the essence is if we are seeing anything of ourselves or of the experience independent of Krishna, unless we're seeing Krishna everywhere then what's Krishna say that's all any any 
any vision independent of a vision that sees me everywhere and in everything, that is my Maya. Thank you so much.